1968, James Brown co-wrote with his bandmate Pee Wee Ellis the classic funk jam. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. The song is positive, life-affirming, anthemic, and it's a killer groove. Now, as of the recording of this podcast, we currently live in a society where saying Black Lives Matter could somehow be construed as controversial. Folks boycott musicians and athletes who celebrate Black empowerment, but in 1968, a song called Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud peaked at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. It was a huge hit. Those who espouse the view that entertainers shouldn't use their platform to discuss politics and social change are simply misinformed when it comes to the inextricable relationship between art and the fight for civil rights. Sam Cooke had a fantastic relationship with Malcolm X. He was unconcerned with potentially alienating a huge part of his white fan base when he composed A Change Is Gonna Come, a song specifically addressing racial discrimination. History's greatest vocalist, Aretha Franklin, sang at Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral, and her most popular hit is a feminist anthem. Curtis Mayfield's Miss Black America, The Temptations, Ball of Confusion, Nina Simone, Mississippi Goddamn. Standing on the right side of history and using their platforms for progress did not damage the careers of these artists. Quite the opposite, it carved their names into the stone upon which we built the foundations of American pop music. I play in a wedding band sometimes, and most of the material that we perform is black soul music. I often think while folks are having the time of their lives and listening to these timeless songs, what motivated my musical ancestors and how much of that motivation was the struggle to bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. The musicians of the not-so-distant past were inspired by the hope of a better not-so-distant future. The waves of sorrow and joy that these artists tapped into, this is a past that we cannot ignore. This is what made this music vital. This is why we love it. I guess what I'm saying is the next time you or a family member is waxing nostalgic about the good old days, about how great American music used to be, the next time you find yourself singing along to Sam Cooke's Cupid, don't forget a change is going to come as well. My name is Micah McKee. I'm a songwriter. And this is American 100. Broadcasting from the musical center of the universe into the vast stretches of the universe, this is American 100.
Welcome to American 100, the show that explores the random and not-so-random beauty of pop music. I am Micah McKee, and this is my robot co-host, Rando. Hello. And Rando, today we're going to talk a lot about the past. Is this about that time that I used the time machine to go meet Albert Einstein and ended up stepping on a cricket, altering the space-time continuum? and screwing up the events of the 21st century? Uh, no, actually, I had no idea that you did that, but now everything kind of makes sense. Learning about the past is how we figure out what to do about the future. And as always on American 100, we choose a year and two songs from the Billboard year-end Hot 100 chart to help us do that. And today, that year is 1973. And the songs are Crocodile Rock by Elton John and Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu by Johnny Rivers. So without further ado, let's go back to the past. 1973. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend comes, my cycle hums. Ready to race to you. Sky, hello blue. There's nothing can hold me when I hold you. You feel so right, you can't be wrong. Rocking and rolling all week long. The past is a strange place. One way that songwriters make sense of the past is through nostalgia. Nostalgia works because as humans, we tend to block out trauma and have selective memories. The music and culture of our youth often color our perception of our experiences. The early 1970s were rife with odes to bygone eras. Peter Bogdanovich's classic 1973 film, Paper Moon, is a rumination on the Great Depression, the worst economic period in American history, and it's a comedy. Just because a man meets a woman in a barroom don't mean he's your pa. Eat your Coney Island. One of the most popular films of the early 1970s was American Graffiti, set in the summer of 1962. Hey man, I'm sorry if I scared you. You're gonna have to do one hell of a lot more than that to scare me. Yeah, but looking all over for you, man. Didn't nobody tell you I was looking for you? Hey, I can't keep track of all you folks running around here backwards. Hey, you're supposed to be the fast thing in the valley, man, but that can't be your car. It must be your mama's car. And it is in this period, the late 1950s to the early 1960s, where the seeds of nostalgia in Western pop culture were planted. The Civil Rights Act had yet to be passed, and only 1.2% of women went to college. The country was in the grip of the Cold War. The military-industrial complex was gathering, and yet there was enough about the mythology of the 1950s for it to be idealized and romanticized. In 1974, Happy Days premiered, a classic American sitcom all about 1950s nostalgia. Used to make me 
1974 saw the release of American Pie, Don McLean's meditation on The Day the Music Died in 1959. And in 1972, Bernie Toppin and Elton John sat down to write a song that was so unabashedly nostalgic, even Elton John himself called it a ripoff. Crocodile Rock was composed in 1972, the same year that the television pilot for Happy Days was written. It's a throwback to the days before the British explosion, before the sexual revolution, and before modern rock and roll as we know it took shape. The speaker of the song reminisces about a possibly fictitious dance called the Crocodile Rock that was all the rage in the good old days. I say possibly fictitious because there are some that claim that the Crocodile Rock was a real dance, more accurately called the alligator, in which the dancer would crawl on their belly as an alligator would on dry land. It actually sounds kind of fun. As mentioned in previous episodes, the late 1950s and early 1960s featured hundreds of dance crazes manufactured by producers in order to sell records. Elton John even references Bill Haley in the comments, Rock Around the Clock in this song, but there were so many. The Mashed Potato, the Hully Gully, the Bop, and not that hard to imagine, maybe even a Crocodile Rock. Now, most of these songs and dance crazes drifted into obscurity as the years went on, and some disappeared as quickly as they came. Even this song itself, Crocodile Rock, was supposed to be a throwaway track, but much to Elton John and Bernie Taupin's surprise, it became a massive hit. I suppose music listeners were looking for more than just a little escapism in 1972, but what were they escaping to? The past that Elton John paints a picture of in Crocodile Rock is a fantasy. It's a mixture of motifs that are reminiscent of yesteryear. If the organ tones sound tinny and grating, that's actually intentional. Elton John is trying to juxtapose the primitive sounds of early rock and roll with the sounds of new glam rock. He mixed these motifs into a blender with white sugar and set it to puree. He poured it on thick because theatrics and pomp are hallmarks of the Elton John brand. The Technicolor fictions of the idealized 1950s and the early 1960s were alive in Elton John's Crocodile Rock, but like all dreams, its memory eventually fades. By the end of the song, the narrator is alone with his record player, dwelling on the past. Little Susie is gone, and the crocodile rock is retired to the dustbin of dance crazes. On the year-end Hot 100 chart of 1973, 
Crocodile Rock ended up at number seven. The next year, Elton John was sued by the songwriters of 1961's Speedy Gonzalez for the distinctive falsetto tone in both songs. It was settled out of court. Coming up, the blues teach us about sickness and health. You're listening to American 100. Hey folks, thanks for listening to American 100. I'm Micah McKee and I wrote the original music for this show and produced it along with Asher Griffith. And if you like content like this, then uh, think about dropping something in our jar. Head over to patreon.com slash cicada radio. Even a pledge of as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. We do this show because we love music and we love radio. So head to patreon.com slash cicada radio and uh, help us out if you can. Thanks. On the Billboard year-end Hot 100 chart of 1973, Johnny Rivers' version of Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu came in at number 78. Another 1950s throwback, Rockin' Pneumonia is a cover of the 1957 hit by New Orleans' own Huey Piano Smith. Smith is one of the lesser known but very essential contributors to Louisiana rhythm and blues. The well of the blues tradition that Huey Piano Smith drew from is filled with songs that reference disease, sickness, and death. Huey Piano Smith and Johnny Rivers' foot-tapping blues rock tunes might be tongue-in-cheek, but deep in their lineage is a dark world. This is Blind Lemon Jefferson's Pneumonia Blues. We're all familiar with the term lovesick, and in 1929, Blind Lemon Jefferson, father of the Texas blues, used the then all-too-common fatal lung condition to describe his broken heart. He died the year this was recorded of an acute myocarditis and inflammation of the heart muscle. Sickbed Blues is one of the many songs of plague and death 
from Mississippi Delta Blues giant Skip James. Skip James was known for his rough exterior and generally pissed off attitude, and there was plenty to be pissed off about. During the time he released his most influential compositions, there was a Great Depression on, and sickness was everywhere. His definitive classic, Hard Time Killing Floor Blues, was famously featured in the Coen Brothers' Depression-era comedy, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The early bluesmen of the Great Depression were working-class heroes. As a result, they were vulnerable to occupational hazard, and one such incident is the Hawk's Nest Tunnel disaster. In 1927, Union Carbide began construction on the Hawk's Nest Tunnel in Gauley Bridge, West Virginia, in order to generate electricity for one of their plants downstream. During the tunnel's construction, workers, most of them African-American workers from the Delta who migrated for job opportunities, discovered the mineral silica. Union Carbide directed the workers to mine this mineral as it was useful in processing steel. The miners complied and were told that face masks were not necessary, even though inhaling large amounts of silica damages the lungs. Some men were even compelled to continue working under these unsafe conditions at gunpoint. Hundreds died of silicosis, a horrible lung disease. And this experience was documented in Josh White's 1936 blues, Silicosis is Killing Me. It's hard not to see a parallel to the way vulnerable members of our population are treated in the workplace today, as people of color find themselves repeatedly in unsafe working conditions under the looming specter of physical illness. The early bluesmen of the past incorporated the plight of plague into their work, and the R&B and rock and roll artists of the mid-20th century, such as Huey Piano Smith and, in 1973, Johnny Rivers, used this plight as extended metaphor. Though Johnny Rivers' version of Rock and Pneumonia is probably the most popular one, I think that my favorite version of the song is by New Orleans' most eccentric and beloved pianist, James Booker. Instead of a glossy, sanitized, radio-ready interpretation of an early R&B track, James Booker goes back to the basics. An artist, a piano, and a strange, wandering blues. A man who's caught the bug and is using music as the cure. Coming up, we're talking to Rory Calais from Box and the Hound and the Cole Williams Band. You're listening to American 100.
Whoa there, girl. That's right. That's right. Ah, just look at that virgin expanse right for the take. Oh, no, Soy Pop, I'm not talking about this beautiful wilderness that rightfully belongs to our indigenous brothers and sisters. I'm talking about the feckin' and unclaimed expanse in the middle of our podcast. So listen here, Big Pard. If you'd like to be among the first to stake your claim, just mosey on over to Louder at CicadaRadio.com. Tip your hat say howdy. That's L-O-U-D-E-R at CicadaRadio.com. All right, Sody Pop, let's get on back to the show. Yep. Welcome back to American 100. I am here with my very good friend and fellow New Orleans musician, Rory Calais. How you doing, Rory? Hey, Micah. How you doing, man? It's good, man. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Like we talked about, this is very strange because I have to reassure people that this is an absolutely random show, but it's crazy that we're ahead of a massive election and um, the topics are idealizing a, a past that may or may not be real in America and uh, pandemics. It's kind of insane. Um, yeah, um, I could vouch for uh, Rando being his own entity because I, uh, I remember how uh, nervous you are when Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, was, the, was the one that got called up. That's right. <laughs> um, so Crocodile Rock, best Elton John song or best song ever? Go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so Elton John in the 70s, it's more or less like impossible for him to be outright bad. But um, in the pantheon of Elton John songs, I I feel like that one in particular is not maybe the maybe not the a pile. You know, Bernie Taupin actually said this was not supposed to be a hit. This was supposed to be kind of throwaway track. Uh, Elton John was like, yeah, I kind (laughs) of. He's like, it kind of sucks that this was a hit. Because <laughs> it was like, like, he has to play it now. Yeah, like, you now know? I have to deal with this. <laughs> you know, he, he really drills the, like, hallmarks of that sound. Like, 50s nostalgia is a very specific thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I can't help but think when you think about uh, 1950s nostalgia i keep thinking about that scene in pulp fiction jackrabbit slims um and how that it was a whole restaurant built around 1950s nostalgia in this film right you know the next song on the list johnny rivers rock and pneumonia and the boogie woogie flu there is a long history and tradition of songs about um disease in in american history um and especially like in blues history yeah the one that popped to my mind when when you brought this up was a fever by peggy lee fever to me is you know she she equates um sickness with like love and attraction when you kiss me fever when you hold me tight fever in the morning, a fever How minimalist the, the instrumentation is. It's really just like the, the bass, that walking bass line, the vocal, obviously. The walking bass line and those snaps and like these very minimal drum fills and um, kind of coming in. And 
I, I don't know. It's almost like you, you, they're like washing away all the like fluff of music to just get to something like super primal that you know virtually every human has to deal with. You know. Both of these songs deal in the currency of nostalgia, and um, you and I both have songs that we really enjoy that reference nostalgia. Um, for instance, you and I are both real big fans of Smashing Pumpkins. Um, so uh, I think, man, one of the most effective meditations on nostalgia, I think, is 1979. There was this definite shift in American culture kind of right at the dawn of the 80s. So 1979 is this kind of like last hurrah. But you know, I mean, like Zeppelin was not yet disbanded. Um, you know, I mean, rest in peace, recent recent loss, but Van Halen was starting to ascend and they were kind of seemed like the heir to that throne, you know? And, um, and, and you know, there's just, uh, punk was exploding, Ramones, Sex Pistols, Clash, like all those bands were really up and running. And that's not even getting into the disco funk side of things, where it was just like all of this energy that seemed to dissipate almost immediately <laughs> in 1980, it feels like. The, vid- the music video for that song drives home the nostalgia. Yeah, it, com- it completely captures the sense of just being a teenager in any decade, really. So this might be a little obvious, but I kind of feel like it's the quintessential nostalgia song, and that's Summer 69 by Brian Adams. There's a little bit of an issue, (laughs) because Brian Adams was born in November of 1959, which means in the summer of 69, he was nine years old. Literally any clip of that song, if you consider it from the perspective of he's supposed to be nine years old, is completely inappropriate. <laughs> like, like, you can't, you know, pick any single, any line and it's bad. Yeah. You know? What about songs that actually make you personally feel nostalgic? There, th- when you mentioned, when you brought that to me, there was one thing that just kind of came like boot blaring in my mind. And so back to my childhood... Uh, every year, just like any family, we'd, we'd decorate our Christmas tree, and that was like, you know, a night, you know, and that was what we were doing that night, and it was the, the night we decorated the Christmas tree. And my dad, my dad was not a musician, but he was, he's an avid music fan, and he, um, you know, was very encouraging with me pursuing music, and he had this tape of um, like these disco Christmas songs, believe it or not. Um, it was the South Soul Orchestra Christmas Jollies, if you're interested. Um, but the, the record was, you know, only between 30 and 40 minutes and he had a lot of tape to fill and my dad was a huge John Lennon fan, uh, more so than Beatles, John Lennon solo. So I remember, you know, the, the disco record ended on his mixtape and then he had the, of course, the John Lennon Christmas song. And then, um, but after that, the first song that was not a Christmas song was, uh, Just Like Starting Over by John Lennon from the Double Fantasy record. Together is so precious. Together we have grown. But 
the, the content of the song is about rejecting past and starting anew and focusing on your present and your future and not being tied to your past like the classic kind of nostalgic songs are. So it becomes this interesting dynamic. Amazing. Um, I, for me, uh, in terms of nostalgia, uh, I grew up riding the school bus. We have this fantastic oldie station in New Orleans called WTIX 94.3. And it is one of those radio stations that is like all over the place. And that radio station, I credit that radio station for really getting me into classic uh, pop music. And 94.3 was really great about that. Anyway, um, an artist that really makes me feel nostalgic is Aaron Neville because his voice just sounds like growing up in New Orleans to me. Like, you know, growing up in New Orleans, Aaron Neville's voice was like on every commercial. He was like so ubiquitous, still is. I mean, he is just such a giant of a human and a, and a songwriter. Probably more weaved into it because it's, it transcends just music. Like you said, it was commercials. It was, it was a symbol that was just woven into the fabric of our city. I, I really thank you, uh, Rory, for coming on the show and uh, and talking about this stuff with me. Man. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. And um, like we were saying, I mean, we're uh, we're texting back and forth about this stuff half the time anyway, so we might as well record it, right? <laughs> we thank Rory Calais for coming to the show, and he's currently playing in the fantastic Cole Williams Band. Um, and you can go check them out at colewilliamsband.com. That's C-O-L-E williamsband.com. Well, Rando, it's time to randomize that Billboard year-end Hot 100 chart and find out what songs are going to be at the center of the next episode. Commencing randomization. The year 2000 and the numbers 6... And 34. Which correlate with Say My Name by Destiny's Child and It Feels So Good by Sonique. American 100 is produced by myself along with Asher Griffith and is presented by Cicada Radio. And you know, there's a whole lot of loneliness going on out there, but sometimes when I get lonely, I listen to Sam Cooke and it helps me feel better. So we're going to close with a little Sam Cooke uh, original composition. This one's called Mean Old World. From all of us at American 100, thanks so much for listening, and always keep a song a in your heart. World to live in, all by yourself. This is a mean old world to live in, all by yourself. This is a mean world to be alone without someone to call your own. This is a mean old world to try and live in all by yourself. This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die. die, die, die.